ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Are we alone in the universe? It's a question humans have been asking ourselves pretty much since the dawn of time. And yet, if you're a believer in UFOs and aliens, you'll know it's long been considered kind of fringe. Well, all that's starting to change. UFOs have become known as UAPs, or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. And as you're about to hear, they've started to be taken pretty seriously by the US government. A former US Air Force intelligence officer has accused the US government of covering up the discovery of extraterrestrial life. We're not bringing little green men or flying saucers into the hearing. Sorry to disappoint about half y'all. We're just going to get to the facts. Usually, a government would dismiss claims of what it calls unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP, but these reports are coming from trusted servicemen speaking under oath. UAP are in our airspace, but they are grossly underreported. These sightings are not rare or isolated, they are routine. There's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. So far, there's been three congressional hearings looking into UAP reports in the United States. And in September, NASA even weighed in on this with its own report. So how did we get to a point where UFOs are being seriously discussed by politicians and scientists? I'm Taryn Priadko, and that's what we'll be exploring in this episode of Rear Vision. To really understand what's happening at the moment, we have to go right back to the late 1940s. The Second World War had just ended, and the world was on the cusp of a Cold War. New weapons were being developed, and anxieties were high. And it's around this time that pilot Kenneth Arnold notices something strange in the skies. Here's Professor of History and Bioethics at Penn State University, Greg Agigian. In 1947, a private pilot flying around uh, Mount Rainier in Washington State, says and he sees what he reports later to be nine kind of strange winged objects that didn't seem to have any kind of fuselage, flying in formation at very high speed. He lands, reports it to the authorities, reports it to local newspapers, and uh, he gets grilled by reporters as he sort of d- talks about this stuff. And uh, apparently one reporter at the time asks him, you know, well, how do they move? How would you describe their movement? And he said, well, they moved like a saucer might if you skipped it across water. Uh, and so th- this very enterprising journalist knew a headline when he heard one and called them flying saucers. And it stuck. And and it became a pretty ubiquitous term in the media very, very quickly. Uh, The Gallup Poll Service did a survey of Americans uh, six weeks later and found that 90% of Americans said that they had heard the term flying saucer. So this really became a meme in in a very short period of time. Within weeks of Kenneth Arnold's sighting going viral, something else would happen that would become famous in UFO lore, the Roswell incident. It all started when a local man noticed some odd debris on his ranch and reported it to the authorities, thinking it might have something to do with the flying sources he'd been hearing about. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. 
The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. News of the flying disc recovered at Roswell sent shockwaves around the world. But the Air Force soon changed their tune, saying the recovered object was a weather balloon. Which was classic misdirection, because what it was was a high-altitude surveillance balloon to look for Soviet uh, nuclear tests in the atmosphere. My name is Chris Impey. I'm a University Distinguished Professor of Astronomy at the University of Arizona. And I do research on cosmology and black holes, but I sort of have a sideline on astrobiology, life in the universe, UFOs, and related subjects. So this is the beginning of the Cold War and a lot of anxiety and paranoia about nuclear proliferation. People worried the Soviets had got the bomb. And so the Americans were monitoring the upper atmosphere for evidence of Soviet tests. And that was a secret program. They didn't really want to tell the public about it because they didn't want the public to get freaked out. So when this one of their surveillance balloons came down in the desert, it was just a misdirection for this military officer to say, oh, it was a flying saucer. But of course, then it's off to the races. And now you have Roswell as the ground zero for UFOs. It's clear that the military were taking reports of UFOs pretty seriously. So seriously, in fact, that they set up a series of programs to look into the phenomenon. Within weeks after Kenneth Arnold's sighting in June of 1947, the United States government, in particular the U.S. Air Force, was very, very interested in this phenomenon. And it seems, of course, natural because these things are being spotted, not just simply by civilians, but there's also um, sightings on the part of military personnel. And so there's this concern that uh, American airspace is being trespassed, right? And so the U.S. Air Force creates a project. The initial one in, in the summer of 1947 is called Project Sign. Um, And it involves a a handful of intelligence officials connected to the U.S. Air Force who start to collect some of these reports and try to analyze the information to see whether or not this stuff represents a threat. It disbands within about, I think, about a year and a half or two years. It's replaced by another project called Project Grudge. Grudge is eventually replaced in the early 50s by a project called Project Blue Book. And Project Blue Book is going to run from the early 50s to the end of the 1960s. And basically what all of these projects come to, the conclusion they reach, is that there is no evidence that these things represent any kind of national security threat. By the time Project Blue Book ended in 1969, it had collected over 12,000 UFO reports And while most of these were able to be explained, 701 of the reports were classified as unexplained. Now, you might have noticed that we've talked a lot more about enemies than aliens so far. This seemed kind of odd to me. So I asked Greg when and why the idea of extraterrestrials started to dominate the conversations around UFOs. This is something that is creeping in already in the summer of 1947. It's not that strange because for, in fact, centuries, human beings in in various cultures have thought uh, that it was at least likely that there were other civilizations out there beyond our own, 
but but it, it does creep in and there are sort of discussions about it. And the way it really starts to take hold, it starts to anchor itself in, in terms of the cultural responses to this phenomenon, really, I think, comes about in 1950, when a fellow a pulp writer, former a military man by the name of Donald Kehoe, writes an article and then follows it up with a book called The Flying Saucers Are Real. And it, he does what a, a kind of an investigative report starts interviewing some people who have connections to these projects like Project Sign and Project Grudge. And basically, he says the conclusion that a lot of experts are reaching is that the only thing that could explain this phenomenon are extraterrestrials. And that work of Donald Kehoe really is, is, I think, critical to the future of the UFO phenomenon because Kehoe does two things. One is he puts out this idea that it is a reasonable and reasoned position that aliens are behind the phenomenon. The second thing he argues is that the government knows this, but is not telling us this. And so those become really the two paths for the future of what's called ufology or civilian UFO research. My name is Leslie Kane, and I'm an investigative reporter and an author. Uh, I've been investigating and reporting on UFOs since the year 2000. That was when my first story came out, and I'm still working on it today. Journalist Leslie Kane says there was a deliberate effort made to minimise the public's interest in UFOs. The stigma really began in January of 1953. And prior to that, for the last few years before that, there had been a lot of sightings of UFOs by very credible people, such as pilots and military people. In fact, there were so many sightings that the intelligence community felt something had to be done about it. They felt that some of the communication systems were becoming dangerously clogged up by all the people calling in reports. And this was during the Cold War. So in January of 1953, a physicist by the name of H.P. Robertson from Caltech put together a panel with the CIA of invited scientists. They spent four days looking at some data on UFOs, and they formulated a policy of debunking in order to minimize the public's interest in this topic. And they spelled out using mass media of all types, which include movies and television shows, popular articles, advertising, even Disney cartoons, to kind of get the message out to people that this was ridiculous, that this was not something to be taken seriously, that it was nonsense. And this was, this was what debunking was all about. It was minimizing it. The UFO craze starts to take on new dimensions in the 60s and 70s. This is when we start to get accounts of alien abductions, like the story of Betty and Barney Hill, who claimed to have been abducted in 1961. We were taken on board and they were t we were told to relax, no harm was going to come to us, and we did. And they did some testing of both Barney and me, and... Uh, showed me the star map of where they were from. People as prominent as former President Jimmy Carter claimed to have seen UFOs, and the ancient astronaut hypothesis became hugely popular. Eric von Daniken was the author, and he wrote a book called Chariot of the Gods, and then he wrote a bunch of sequels and follow-ups. And they sold enormous numbers of books. And it, it's sort of a hodgepodge 
of looking at artifacts in the archaeological and cultural record going back thousands of years and choosing to interpret these things as, oh, look at those straight lines on the Mexican plateau. They couldn't have been possibly put there by the Incans or the ancient Mesoamericans. They must have been put there by aliens. Or look at those pyramids. You can't even fit a knife between those stones. They're so well-constructed. We couldn't possibly have done that. They must have been aliens. So it's just this sort of logically highly flawed method of taking a rag bag of intriguing things from history, culture, archaeology, and ascribing them to aliens. At this point, you might be wondering what was driving people to subscribe to these beliefs, often without a lot of hard evidence. Greg says that, for many, there was a religious element to this, and it came to be associated with the New Age movement. And so a lot of people with those kinds of visions and perspectives see in the UFO phenomenon really the beginning of a new age. We have to remember the end of the millennium is coming. And so this is seen as the the, the trigger for it, right? That the aliens are here to, in fact, invite us to become part of this new age, this new order. And that's where this vision of space brothers and space sisters comes from. The Berlin Wall came down in November 1989, and by the end of 1991, the Soviet Union had been dissolved. The Cold War was over, and so too was the UFO craze. The phenomenon did live on in popular culture, becoming the inspiration for television shows like The X-Files. But as far as we knew, governments weren't taking it seriously anymore. There was, however, one American senator whose interest in the subject never wavered. His name was Harry Reid. Senator Harry Reid was a very longtime serving and very powerful senator in the U.S. Congress who appears to have had a fairly long-standing interest in things that were paranormal. This may, in fact, have been something that came through his interactions with a fellow by the name of Robert Bigelow. Robert Bigelow, uh, I believe he still is a billionaire, a Defense Department contractor, private contractor. Um, Bigelow himself is somebody we know who for a very long time has been interested in the paranormal. He has been very vocal about the fact that he takes UFOs very seriously. And so these two men, it appears, had a meeting of minds at some point. And Reed helped to funnel some Defense Department money, I think it was about $22 million over about a five or six year period, to a secret project that was supposed to look into these matters. And so this this program ran from around, I think it's 2006, 2007 to about 2012, when they were finally uh, disbanded. But news of this project eventually comes out in December of 2017 with some press coverage accompanied by some film footage from U.S. Navy pilots. Dude, this is a fucking drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. That was a section from one of the three videos captured by naval aviators, and you can hear their reactions there to this airborne enigma that they're encountering. Another of the videos depicts the now-famous 
Tic Tac incident, footage of a whitish oblong object in the skies that looks a lot like the mint. And if that wasn't strange enough, the videos were originally leaked by the New York Times and a UFO research group that had been started by none other than former Blink-182 guitarist and longtime UFO enthusiast Tom DeLonge. In October of 2017, I was approached by some colleagues who I'd come to know over the years who were close to a man named Luis Elizondo who headed up a program at the Pentagon studying UFOs. And at that time, nobody knew this program existed. That's Leslie Kane again. She was one of the journalists who broke this story in the New York Times back in 2017. And the revelation for me was absolutely shocking because up until that point, everybody had assumed that our government really wasn't engaged with this. But if they were, it was very, very secret. And then we'd never find out about it. And here I was being told there is a program. And it is taking UFOs seriously, and it has put resources into investigating them. And I was shown documentation about the program. I was shown a letter from Senator Harry Reid, which described his desire to get special secret status for the program. And I was also shown three videos of actual UFOs, which were official videos. And that was historic. So it took us about two months to do this story, and it came out in December of 2017, and uh, nothing has been the same since. It, it radically changed the landscape. Now, it's worth noting at this point that there have since been some questions around Luis Elizondo's role in this Pentagon program, which Elizondo has challenged. But the wash-up is that the program did exist, and that was pretty striking. I'm Shane Harris, and I am the intelligence and national security correspondent for The Washington Post. And I was astonished by this reporting. I actually thought it was one of the most important stories that we'd seen all year, not because it was somehow proof of extraterrestrials or that aliens had visited the Earth. And in fact, it was not saying that at all. What I found so striking was that this subject that had kind of been, you know, the subject of, you know, the X-Files and science fiction movies was something that the Pentagon was seriously studying and that they were doing it because, as the name UFO suggested, unidentified flying object, the military did not know what these craft, these objects that pilots were seeing were. And they wanted to know whether or not they could be a foreign country's technology, something maybe built by an adversary. And they were seriously looking into this question to try and figure out what are these objects and do they pose any threat to national security? So, Leslie, walk us through what happened after it came out that the Pentagon was running this program to study UFOs. After the story came out, members of Congress were briefed about the UFO issue. They started to realize that this was something serious, that there was a lot of data about it. They actually met with some pilots who came in and briefed them. And one thing led to another. Uh, legislation was passed requiring that the intelligence community provide reports on this. They set up a task force to investigate UFOs. More stories came out. The media became very interested in this topic. And the media was no longer giving you a wink and a nod and kind of uh, making silly comments when they reported on this. This was a serious stuff now. And um, yeah, it just kept building and building. And as of today, there have been three open congressional hearings 
dealing with this, which is absolutely historic. We haven't had a congressional hearing since 1968 on this topic. The acronym also changed at this point. UFOs became UAPs, or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. And things get even more complicated when a former intelligence official named David Grush enters the story. So um, my colleague Ralph Blumenthal and I broke the story about David Grush in June of 2023. And David Grush was a whistleblower who was a very highly respected intelligence official. He had worked, he worked with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office. He had a long track record of service at very high levels with high clearances. And he was sent by these organizations to be a representative within the UAP task force. And um, the UAP task force assigned him the job of looking into the question of the the retrieval of crashed objects. And he did this deep investigation in which he learned, he believed, based on what up to about 40 people told him who were directly involved with this, that our government had in its possession intact craft and also partial craft that had crashed or had been retrieved that were not made by human beings. He had not seen them himself, but he had spoken to enough people who he had known, many of them for many years, that he believed what they were telling him was true. After Leslie and Ralph Blumenthal published their story in The Debrief, David Grush went on to extend his claims in an interview with News Nation and then in sworn testimony to the US Congress. Here's a bit of what he said during those hearings. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries, yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. Now, I should note that the Pentagon has denied David Grush's claims. So, Shane, what did you make of all this? This was an, an, an incredible claim uh, that he made uh, and, and got a lot of attention, understandably so. It shifted the conversation from one where government officials were talking about UFOs and saying, we're not saying that they're aliens, to one in which a government official was talking about UFOs and saying, it's aliens. And, and I think that that was why it got so much attention, obviously. Grush's testimony, a number of lawmakers, I think, found to be problematic insofar as that by his own account, he did not have firsthand information about these crashed objects. He had spoken to people who claimed to have information, you know, or people who had heard about it from others, but he had not himself ever laid eyes on, you know, a crashed spacecraft or a piece of debris that had been determined to be, you know, non-human in origin. And so he was piecing all of this together from an investigation that he was really doing on his own internally at his workplace, more or less. And so while the claims were were extraordinary, I think lawmakers found them to be unsubstantiated. While all of this has been going on in U.S. Congress, NASA has also started to do its own investigation into UAPs. Chris Impey, what did we learn when NASA released its own report on this subject back in September? We didn't learn very much. Uh, They definitely said, we find no evidence for 
aliens visiting. So they they said no no indication in any of the data we looked at that this this is extraterrestrial or uh, some entity that we don't understand or technology that's beyond human capabilities. They didn't report any of that. They were mostly saying out of the from the hundreds of reports they looked at, which of course were the non-classified ones because these people are civilians, they didn't have the clearance to look at the military reports. They mostly said, well, we can show that many of them are astronomical or weather balloons or mundane phenomena. And then for a lot, we just can't tell because the data is not good enough. So what they really did was say, they put down a, a marker of what kind of data you would need to do better, to move forward, because otherwise it's just more confusion. You know, you just get more reports where the data is anecdotal and can't be trusted or where there's not enough data and so you can't interpret it and you're not really moving forward. So where does this leave us? Well, I think for all my guests, it's with a desire for more investigation. So where we could go from here is hopefully more investigation into some of the claims that the whistleblowers have been providing to Congress and to the Department of Defense Task Force. Hopefully there will be other whistleblowers who may be willing to go public. Uh, There are going to be more reports coming out from the intelligence community. There are various reports that have been requested by Congress. We're going to hear more from NASA. We're going to hear more from the Galileo Project at Harvard University, which is trying to collect their own data that shows that we have objects in our skies that are not manufactured on Earth. So there are a lot of efforts underway to try to get to the bottom of this. And I, I just think we can we can sit back and, and watch and hopefully we're on a train that's not stopping. Look, I find the story fascinating and I've been very clear about my, my priors on this. I would love to find out that there are extraterrestrials who have visited the earth. I would think that was an incredible discovery and I'm very open-minded to this. But, you know, having reported on this for many years now, I think what one thing I've concluded is that You know, the government can get very overwhelmed with all kinds of reports and sightings. And what they consistently keep saying is like, we just don't have enough data to understand what these things are. And so I think, you know, closer study is great, but I think that more consistent data and collecting of information in a consistent way might help to make more sense of these sightings. For historian Greg Gigian, we also need to appreciate why we're suddenly seeing this resurgence of interest in UFOs. So I think there's a number of things that are kind of fueling this new resurgence. I think for one thing, you have to look to the kind of development of new sensors, of sophisticated spying technologies, think of drones here, and how they've made it possible, on one hand, for militaries and intelligence services to detect unusual aerial activities that they might have missed in an earlier age, but also they heighten suspicion about engaging in high-tech espionage. And so we live in an age of a kind of a new sort of Cold War concern and anxiety about espionage. And then I think the last thing is we got to remember that this UFO phenomenon has always thrived in any environment where questions are being raised and asked about Can we trust our authorities? And of course, the corona pandemic, it did just that, right? It fed this widespread sense of uncertainty, a sense of powerlessness. And so I think 
in that environment, this helps sort of fuel particularly some of those more dubious, right? Those more skeptical voices within the, the UFO curious world, if you will. And if all this discussion about UFOs boils down to that fundamental question, are we alone? Then the answer could be closer than you think. Chris, if you had to take a punt, how long do you think it'll be before we see evidence of extraterrestrial life? I'm going to say seven or eight years. We have so many exoplanets now, so we've found hundreds of Earth-like planets. In fact, the nearest one might be in the nearest star system, just four light years away, Proxima Centauri. These are all places with all the ingredients for life. They have carbon, energy source, water, and a lot of time. Chris Impey is Distinguished Professor of Astronomy at the University of Arizona. My other guests were Greg Agigian, Professor of History and Bioethics at Pennsylvania State University, Leslie Kane, an investigative journalist and author, and Shane Harris, National Security Reporter for The Washington Post. This Rear Vision was produced by me, Taryn Priadko, and sound engineer Roy Huberman for ABCRN. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.